0: Welcome to the International Birch University Podcast. The IBU Podcast Studio is located at the Department of Digital Communications and Public Relations, or DCPR, as we call it. My name is Engin Oberczyk, and I'm your host today. Art is an artist collective that uses the visual arts as a tool for addressing global issues, while connecting with artists from around the world. The Art Notes were founded in 1996 by Professor Emeritus George Rivera, Professor in the Art and Art History Department at the University of Colorado Boulder. As an artist, art critic, and a curator, Dr. Rivera held exhibitions in the United States, Brazil, Bulgaria, Canada, Chile. Colombia, Mexico, Palestine, Peru, Russia, Spain, and now in Bosnia and Herzegovina. Professor Rivera, it's a great pleasure having you with us today. Thank you.
1: Uh, Is this your first time in Sarajevo? This is my ninth time in Sarajevo. Your ninth time. I've been coming here because uh, Bosnia is a very important country to me as an artist and where we should show art and have discussions about art. I, um, the first time I came to Bosnia, I was invited to Sanski Most. They had Mm -hmm. an art exhibition there, and they wanted me to have an art exhibition. And I went there for an art exhibition, and Sanski Most was important to me. I had done research on what had happened there, Mm -hmm. and I wanted to go there with an an exhibition. And so, what the Art Knots do, first of all, the Art Knots, the word A-R-T-N-A-U-T-S means like astronauts, we go around the mm-hmm. world. That's come. it's knots, art knots, And then it's art, N-O-T, not. We're not art as usual. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we, we, I specialize and we specialize in places of contingent. Where something hap- has happened that's dehumanized human beings. Like war, like terror, like torture. Like where things have happened to human beings that should not happen. Or to the environment that should not happen. And so those are the kind of places that we go through to around the world. So the very first time I came here was in Sandsky Most. And then after that, we had shows here in Sarajevo. And then I've also been to Mm Bihać and had an exhibition there. And um, so I come here because it is a place of contention historically. And I think that coming here by just being here we our presence tells bosnians that we care about what happens here i see the art knots as ambassadors of the good of what happens in the united states Mm -hmm. we are ambassadors of the good we bring art we care and we have discussions with people um i also believe in the theoretical concept by joseph Boyd called the social sculpture social sculpture means Mm -hmm that you just don't put up art on the walls and say you had an exhibition. That is not enough for me as a curator. We put uh, art on the walls based on a theme that I've researched that the United States and that country that we're going to have in common. Point of view, the art is point of view from the United States, but it's something that the the country has in common. For example, you had ethnic cleansing and we have racism. Mm -hmm. So we can talk about things that divide us in our own country as a way to try to get a a dialogue going, what divides you in your own country? We do that in every country that we go to. The idea of a social sculpture is that the the art on the wall is just the beginning of the art piece. The art piece, social sculpture means it's done with the interaction with people. You sculpt, you form social change and social transformation, by talking to people about things that are important in that country and what's happening to them, so it, we we make a big effort to meet people, talk to them, even talk to little kids. We have we have we when we mm-hmm. go to a country, we go work with little kids and talk to them. We have uh, show them how to do artwork and we talk to them. We talk to high school kids. We talk to college kids. We talk to people that are just that we get to know people invited us into their homes where we have discussions about what happened here and how they view the future mm-hmm. so social sculpture means we are socially engaged with the people mm-hmm. we just don't just come in do an art show and leave mm-hmm. that's not enough for us we have to get to know the people and understand how they look at the world and you establish connections mm-hmm. yes of course with all kinds at all levels all professional levels. levels professors students on the you know whatever
0: mm-hmm. And you stay in touch with those people. Yes, we do.
1: We come back here nine times. They all we go see them all every time we come. That's fascinating.
0: What what has your experience been so far in in Sarajevo in Bosnia in Herzegovina?
1: Well, uh, here I um, I met a family that invited me into their home for dinner, and that had been a family where the uh, they had experience and had experiences from during the war and how. They lived in the danger during that time. And so we had a nice dinner and we talked about, I wanted to know what happened, how did they see things? Uh, and then I, I've also, i also, I this time because I've worked with children here before, this is aside from the exhibition, I've worked with children here before in the schools. I, um, I write children's books also. And so what I did this time to make a contribution to Bosnia, I wrote a children's book about peace and from the viewpoint of children. Mm -hmm. And we're gonna publish it here at the International Peace Center so that kids can use it in the schools. And that was a product, not of my imagination of what students, little kids think of peace, but we interviewed them in the schools and they told us what they thought of peace. And so that goes into the dialogue of the book. And that's for little kids. You know, so that's just, I, I have an interest in all levels of people mm-hmm. who live in a country. And so with the little kids, yes. And with uh, college kids, I give lectures to uh, college college students. Mm-hmm. And I get associated, like I have here, with Amir Kleppel. Uh, and he invites me to talk to students. He invites, we're doing a, a documentary that he's doing. That is going to be a documentary in the United States. Yeah, well, what's the documentary about? The documentary is about me and the Art Nuts, why I formed the Art Nuts, and who are the Art Nuts, and what do we do, and what do we do all over the world. So they've interviewed me, and they interviewed several of the artists, and they've gone with me to different places where the the film crew has gone with me to different places to see what I do that's just more than just art on the wall, which is the social sculpture idea. So I... um, I meet people of all, all stages of life, old people, young people. I meet. I talk to taxi drivers. I've been in situations where I've gone to a country and a taxi driver invites oh. me to their home. In Palestine, that happened to me. My taxi driver said, I said, I'd like to know Palestine. He said, what are you, what are you eating tonight? And I said, I'm going to go to some restaurant. He said, why don't you come to my home? My wife knows how to cook real good. And I've known that person for now for almost eight years, and I go to his house every time. He's just a regular Palestinian trying to make a living and a way of life in a very dangerous place. And so there are people I wanna connect with, not just professors, but people in all walks of life. I wanna know how the country I'm going to looks at reality of the past and the present and how they envision the future.
0: Does this stem from your understanding of art itself? How do you, in other words, how do you define art? What is art to you?
1: Okay, first of all, I, my doctorate degree is in sociology. Uh, for 24 years of my academic life, I taught in the sociology department. So I come in with a social consciousness. That's what I was taught in sociology. But I also studied sociology of art when I was in graduate school. So that gives me an interest in art. Now, um, after teaching 24 years in the Department of Sociology, I asked the president of the university if I could move over to the art department. Uh She said, sure, if you think you you might be more comfortable there and can do more work. So I taught at the University of Colorado, 24 years in sociology, 26 years in the Department of Art and Art History. And I just retired in December 22, after teaching at the university for 50 years. I taught 50 years because I loved teaching. I didn't want to retire. I love doing what I do, having exhibitions. I love writing. I love the work, working with ideas and other people. And so art to me is not necessarily a very strict definition of the way art departments look at it. I believe that art is made to help us change society. Art has a purpose to it. And so people ask me, well, how can art change, does art change people? I said, no, art can't change people, but it can change people who can change the world. That's what art can do. You look at Guernica and you say, well, I'm against war. Well, go out and do something against war then, you know, so art can change people who can change the world. So when I put together art exhibitions after researching what's going on in that country, I come up with a theme. And the theme, then all the artists in the United States make work referencing that theme and doing visualizations of what that theme means to us in America, in the United States. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea is that that theme, having been researched, is also relevant to the country that we're coming to with an exhibition. So from that theme, on that topic, from our point of view in the United States, we're able to have a dialogue with others about not just your problem, but we have a similar problem. We don't go to tell you your problem. We go to have tell you our problem that's similar and have a discussion with you about a common issue that's like our problem.
0: That's that's <clears throat> a brilliant definition of art uh, as, as an event, perhaps, that changes yourself first, in the first place, and then you go out and change other people. That's, that's fa- fantastic. Um, and how do you, reflecting on that, how do you express, uh, how do you communicate that art? Perhaps visual language is, is one of the tools, one of the instruments of communicating. Yes, with, yes. With, uh, or simply expressing what it is that, you know, that's authentic to yourself. Is that how Yes,
1: it? yes. Well, what, what, first of all, the art knots, we've been in existence 27 years now. Mm-hmm and we have a reputation with art critics and people who write about art. So people write about us, and we're able to express what mm-hmm. we think about art, where we've gone, and what we're doing, and why we're doing it. That's mainly to the academic world. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, magazines that are just popular magazines also write about us, and newspapers write about us. And so that's, that's another way, through the written word, but also... The, we have a website that people can look up and see who we are and what we do. So that's another way to communicate with the world. What's the
0: website, by the way?
1: It's artnauts.org, A-R-T-N-A-U-T-S dot O-R-G. Anybody can look at it and you see the artists, our philosophy, how we, what we've done. Um, but, but, but most importantly to me is talking to the people in the country where they've been affected by something traumatic. There's a trauma going on, not only in my country, but in other countries too. And I wanna talk to them about that because we can only make a better society if we begin to try to heal from that trauma. And talking about it is a first step toward healing and talking about it and thinking about social change that we we can change the situation. We're not helpless, we can change it, but we gotta get people to believe in change. And so that's what we try to do throughout the countries that we come into. And, and we communicate. I, just three weeks ago, I was in the Amazon jungle with an art exhibition. A leader of the Witoto tribe invited me. He was a shaman. I met him in Bogota. And he invited me to go visit his tribe, his community, tribal community. So we went. And to get there, there are no planes to get there. We had to rent a private plane. And then we have to go down the river to reach its community. But we were interested in, in communicating with tribal people too. That was the first time they'd ever seen contemporary art. And we take contemporary art to them so we can discuss the whole show was about the environment, environmental issues, climate change. And a lot of us did artwork about the Amazon rainforest and how it's being destroyed. Deforestation, fires, you know, mining. And they see it firsthand. So we were able to have a discussion with him about that. So we discussions are an important part of what we do. And it's just not the art pieces that are going to communicate. Mm-hmm. We create works that hopefully get to thinking about the issue. But then we, we need to talk about those kinds of issues. So everywhere we go, we, we spread it with where we go. And people have know about us, so our reputation is, precedes us. And so, consequently, people are writing, talking about us. Art history, the history of art in America, is noting who we are. We are part of art history because we're doing something so different. And because we're doing something so different in the world, other artists are not going to places of contention. They're not addressing the uh, uh, social sculpture idea that I just told you about. They're not going to countries of contention. And so consequently, th- we are very different as an art collective. And then we've lasted a long time. Most art collectives only last five years or so. We've lasted 27 years already. And so that's another phenomenon that's different.
0: How did you How did you manage to last 27 20, years?
1: <clears throat> well, when I first formed the group, I... Asked artists that were in the art department that I thought had a social consciousness to join me. And then they asked other artists who had a social consciousness to to, uh, join us. The first shows that we had were in Mexico. Mm -hmm. I'm of Mexican background. I'm Mexican-American, living in the United States, born in the U.S. My mother was born in Mexico. My grandfather fought in the Mexican Revolution with Pancho Villa in the North. And so I come with a social consciousness not only me inside of me but also sociologically of my training and so the the thing that we want to do is share what we know and have a common dream about social change with others
0: Mm -hmm. so the common dream the good that you've done around the world is this specific quality that allows you to continue working around the world Yes. With
1: peoples, yes. nations. And, and, the, and the more, you know, the, being around 27 years means that other countries know you now. They, they want you to come to their country. Countries that we, want, we go to want us to come over and over and over mm-hmm. to their own country. I went into Palestine.
0: Mm-hmm. Palestine. Would you please share some of those experiences? Okay. You've been traveling extensively. Yeah. I'm sure there are some great stories to it, tell. Well,
1: in Palestine, the first thing you should know is that when I told my colleagues at the in the art department I was going to Palestine, they said, you're crazy to go. They're going to kill you. You're an American. America supports Israel with guns and everything else. They're going to kill you. The Palestinians are going to kill you. I said, well, if they kill me, they kill me. I'm going. I was invited, and when I invi- I'm invited, I go. And um, so we went to Palestine. And the, the thing about Palestine, we went there during the end of the second Mm intifada where killing was still going on i've been shot at three times by the israelis because not because of what i do but just because i was in palestine with the palestinians they were shooting at the palestinians i was with the palestinians so they shot at me too um and it happened to me three times so some of it is dangerous you know um and i know that but yet it's those places where we should be What's going on in Palestine, the world should know what's going on in Palestine. The Muslims love us. The Arabs of Palestine love the Ardenats. They keep wanting us to come back and back and back. Why? Because we care and we come in to talk about social change and how what's happening to the Palestinians is oppressive, how the occupation wall is oppressive, and we see it, right? And so we, we come there to help, other people understand because we leave. When we leave, we witness, we go tell other people about what we saw and the injustices that exist there. And some of the, our colleagues, they don't know what's going on in Palestine. We come back and want to tell our friends. And they don't believe it. They don't can't believe that what's going on there. The inhumanity that's going on. They can't believe it. But because of experience, we know what's going on there.
0: And there is something obviously deeply human within the Art Knots concept.
1: Yes. Would you please share more about that? Well, the the, the Art Knots, first of all, just because we're concerned with social change, they want us there. And the very first time I went to Palestine, I didn't have any connections. I read in the New York Times of a person who was getting their doctorate degree at the University of Michigan and they were gonna go back to Palestine to teach. That's what they were, they were from Palestine, they're going back to Palestine to teach. So I looked up, did research on that person who was in the New York, mentioned the New York Times, and I sent them an email. And I said, I'd like to have a show in Palestine. This is who we are. You can look at our website and understand more about us, but I'd like to have a show. And right away they invited us, because we're in the social change, because we care about what happens to people that are oppressed right? And so those are the, the attractions that other people have that of who we are and why they want us there. Um, and so, like I said, Palestine right now, it, it is dangerous. Like, I've been shot at three times, and it can be dangerous. The very first time that I came into Palestine, uh, an Arab Muslim picked me up at the airport. He had the right and a license to go between Israel and Palestine, we had to pass a checkpoint. To get in there, you have to pass a checkpoint. So he stopped the car at the checkpoint, but we had to stop. And he rolled down the window to talk to the Israeli soldier. And this is the first time I ever came into Palestine. And the Israeli soldier reached inside, the window was down, and just slapped the heck out of the Palestinian. Now the Palestinian could do nothing. If he does something, he'll be killed. Right there, it's legitimate. And so that was my introduction to the Palestine. And that told me something very bad is happening here. If people think that they have the right to treat this person like an animal, something very bad is happening here. They can slap them and hurt him and kill them, right? Without anything happening to them. That's where we belong. We have to be in Palestine. And the Palestinians are made close, close friends with Palestinians at all Mm -hmm. levels.
0: How did the exhibition go in Palestine?
1: <clears throat> it, it went great. The first, the first show we had in Palestine was entitled Common Wounds, right? Meaning that they were wounded because they were Palestinians by the war with Israel and what was going on there. But we in the United States were also wounded by racism, all these other things that happened in our own country. So we have common wounds. They have a wound and we have a wound. Mm. We have wounds in common. We've been wounded by society, by oppression, by discrimination, by people treating us very, very different. Um, we've been, and so they love the show. They love the show. They, uh, they all came to the exhibition, the, uh, the exhibition, the opening of the exhibition. It was at the university, Dar Al Kalima University, invited me, and we went there and we had a show and they loved it, and they've been inviting us back and back and back because because we don't just make art about anything. We make art that matters. Mm. We don't do anything else. We make art that matters. And so all the artists are making art that matters. They're not just mm. making art about a window. They're so making a, art about what you see when you look out the window at oppression.
0: Essentially, it's a social action. Yes. It's very specific, concrete, Yes, straight to the point. Yes. I'm thinking of Emmanuel Levinas, a French philosopher. He spoke of uh, art and ethics, and he said that art is—it's an experience beyond uh, aesthetics. It is um, a, a connection to the other person, yes, and uh, it transcends everything else and puts us in touch you know, with the other person who, for and for Levinas, this has been uh, an encounter with the other that it, it, it is a profoundly hum, humane human experience. Yes. Not just aesthetical experience, but yes. a human, humane yes. experience. And it seems to me this is one of the uh, sources, one of the uh, directions that, that the art notes are headed in.
1: Yeah. Now, not all artists in America are into art and social change. Mm-hmm. It's hard to sell art that's made about art and social change. Mm-hmm. Commercial uh, galleries don't want that kind of art. So that's to come, I said, okay, if they don't like this kind of art, I'm going to go around the world with it. And once I went around the world and experimented with that, mm. they loved us around the world because we're doing something that's relevant to places of contention. The U.S. doesn't see itself as a place of contention. They see us as being very contented, mm. right? There's problems and there's conflict, but they see it as just happening to certain people just the minorities, right? The, most Americans don't. They may be racist, but they don't experience that. Only the group. It's because I'm Mexican-American and a Mexican background and people discriminate against me in the United States that I understand how you can be dehumanized by discrimination and racism. And I understand how other countries and other places can also be dehumanized by what happens in their own country to them because whatever divisions that might exist,
0: yeah, in the U.S., it's, it's different, as you and say. And they're
1: killing us, too. Black Lives Matter was about yeah, killing yeah. us. That's shocking. Uh, That's shocking. You know, the police are beating us to death. They're, and they kill us, too, because we're different. When people see you as an animal, it's very easy to mistreat you. Very easy. Very easy. If they don't see you as a human being, it's very easy to mistreat you.
0: How does, how does your intervention operate? Let's put it that way. Say you went to the DMZ, demilitarized zone in South Korea. Uh, what did you do there? How, how did that work? How did you exhibit your work? What message did you send to the societies, okay. to both societies, I presume?
1: Sure. Right? Well, <clears throat> the DMZ museum invited us. So they want us there. They heard about the Art Knots and they wanted us there. And so the museum is in the DMZ zone. And so they invited us. We put a proposal together of the the show we wanted to have. But one of the things, in addition to the art that we were making, I I got a very famous Korean-American artist that's very famous in the United States to also do a piece of work. And joined the Art Notch for that show. And they appreciated that. And that Korean American artist had shown in South Korea, but had never exhibited in the DMZ Museum. So for her it was a privilege to join us. And so her voice was important to me to have included because in the Art Notch uh, we didn't we had other Chinese Americans, we had others, but not we didn't have a Korean American in the show. So I wanted that representation in the show and and in addition to that, one of the things that I do is art and language. I believe that language has a powerful place to play in art, and so I got all the artists we took pictures of just the a headshot of them, and below them, um, I had them talk about in eight words or less a statement about. What is the, how does a, a boundary dehumanize people? So in eight words less they said that. And that was the DMZ was a boundary. That's dehumanizes people. But I had Americans do a photograph and then below that I would with computer put in the text that they said and we showed those pieces too so they know that we care about what boundaries do to human beings. So that's another way that I add, like for example, the other night I was working with some uh, high school kids mm-hmm. uh, here <clears throat> in Sarajevo. And one of the things I asked all the kids to do, uh, I said, let me take a picture of you, just a headshot, And on the back of a piece of paper, I want you to tell me what is peace? Answer the question, what is peace to you? I wanna know. Mm-hmm. The Americans wanna know. You live in a zone where there's problems. Well, what is peace to you? And they all wrote down in eight words or less mm-hmm. what they thought of peace. And I'm going to show those in an exhibition with their face and their statement of peace is whatever they want to say. And so I try to engage and make people feel that they are important, these high school kids that did that. I said, you're an artist. I'm going to show this in a museum. I'm going to show it in a museum in the United States. I'm going to show it here next year at the, uh, the historical museum when they, they're inviting me back. I'm going to show it here. I said, bring your parents to the show because you're an artist. I made you an artist. I'm a curator. I decide who's an artist. And you're going to be an artist because I'm going to put you in a museum. And so I try to engage students in the kind of things that I think they should think about. Mm-hmm. And the people in the, in the country, too. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, our students cooperating?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I I, did, I, I, asked, I just came back from a lecture here at your university. And I told all the students, I said, I don't have time to take your photograph, but just take a photograph with a camera of yourself, a headshot, mm-hmm. and answer the question, what is peace in eight words or less? And mm-hmm. said, I'll put you in an exhibition in the United States, and I'll put you in exhibition next year when I come back to the uh, historical museum. I, you know." And I said, I'll make you, a, you'll be an artist.
0: What did they say? How did they react to that? Well,
1: well, they they reacted very favorably. <laughs> well, I'm hope that I told them email me that. I said the people have my my uh, email. Email me the picture and what you say mm-hmm. with the picture, and I'll put it together and make an art piece out of it. and I'll show it.
0: So it has been an engaging lecture. It's high yes. it be interesting Yes, in other words, that, I
1: want yeah. them to feel part of what I'm trying to do, not just to hear uh, me as an outsider come in with something mm-hmm. and give them information. I want them to feel important. The very fact that I respect them well enough that I want to know what pieces in their heads. Me, and that I'm gonna make them an artist and put that in an art show, tells them I respect them a lot, and I do.
0: Are you, generally speaking, happy with the IBU student contributions, you know, during
1: your lecture, uh, oh, yes. engagement, uh, and so on? Oh yes, creativity. Oh yes, now, the, the, my philosophy, you're asking about an artist, and it comes from the theoretical viewpoints of Joseph Beuys, the German artist. This idea of social sculpture. In other words, forming a sculpture from the social. And that's an invisible sculpture because it's formed out of words, words that are said, and conversations. But we're forming a better society. It's just What we're we're doing, we're not doing it with marble, we're not doing it with paint, we're doing it with words. We are making art with words in a conversation about social transformation. So I see art as being bigger than something that's in a museum or a gallery. I also believe in public art, that you should put art out on the streets. Uh, I do billboards, I've done billboards and shown that on the streets. I've done artwork supporting the Ukrainians by doing uh, artwork that says support, you know, Ukraine and some uh, statements to that effect that people can put up in their front yard to show their neighbors that they're against what's happening in Ukraine. And they're, you know, they're like 17, 11 by 17 uh, size. And they can make them with a computer and they can put them up in their yard to tell their neighbors, I'm against what's happening to the Ukrainians. So public art is very important to me too, not just the gallery and the gallery space.
0: So art for you is a language, obviously, but it's not just any language. Not it's, just any language. It's a visual language in the first place and it's an ethical language. yes, I, yes. That's yes. the essence of it. Yes.
1: And I think that, you know, the most important thing is that my viewpoint is that Art can help us heal. And we're all wounded in one way or another in society. So, you know, the Art Do really shows about what are the wounds in society all over the world. And we need to heal wounds. Well, one of the ways, you know, you heal wounds is letting somebody give you an image that maybe you can talk about because you can't say what's inside of you, but you can talk about the image. And then it gives them an entry to begin to tell you how they feel about that wound that it reminds them of, Mm -hmm. right? Because everybody has a wound. You can't leave this world without a wound. And how does the healing
0: process take place? How does it work?
1: Well, I think that healing happens when the process of an individual Mm -hmm. processing in their mind what you're trying to tell them and talk about, visually or orally. Mm-hmm. And I think that if you don't recognize that there's a wound, it can never be healed. You gotta recognize that there's a wound. Otherwise, you don't know, that's what psychiatrists do to all of us. They try to say, well, okay, what is your wound? And I'm gonna to talk to you about it. And in talking about it, you're gonna be healed from it because you got it out and you talked about it. And you know it, and then you begin to realize you can do something about that wound. There's something you can do, you know. And and all of us have a little bit to do. You don't have to do a big thing. You just do what you can from where you are to heal that wound. Is the wound a disorder, a form of
0: disorder that's happening within us? Yes. And art is a form of order that's calming us down in a sense.
1: Yeah, it's a a way of unity. It unifies the The stuff that's inside our minds and make sense of it instead of letting it haunt us and we never if you never recognize something it will haunt you for the rest of your life so you need to again think of the psychiatric model you mm. talk about it and in talking about it someone helping you recognize that it's an issue inside of you you begin to see it mm. and try to understand well how can I change it so I don't get wounded more by this wound, right? And so I think that art helps us do that. You know, like I said, art can't change the world, but it can change people who can change the world. I mean, I look at a piece of art, that little piece of paper. I love that. Yeah, Yeah. and so that's important. And, um, And healing is important. And so even though that's my goal, without saying it, the art has a healing effect. And the conversation has a healing effect. Mm-hmm. Sorry.
0: Can, can you share with us perhaps an example that's been, um, that impressed upon you, upon your mind, of healing? Can you perhaps remember, the, think about a really impressive example of healing that we, the art knots really healed someone, healed okay. the soul, or helped the individual heal? He
1: we have gone into countries where there is active war okay and we do shows about deconstructing war i mean take it apart what are the parts of it why is it happening and in those situations i think that but see the art just by itself isn't going to do it you got to talk to people that's come i said it's a social sculpture You got to engage people, have a conversation with them, and in doing that, I think that uh, looking at what war is, because we, my country, is involved in wars, directly and indirectly. We're against war. I am, but my country's involved in my country's involved in uh, dictatorships, supporting dictatorships. Let me give you a good example of healing. We went into Chile during the time of Pinochet, the dictator, and he killed lots of people, lots and lots of people, young people, college kids. And all they were doing is being, caring about the poor, right? And Pinochet overthrew a democratic government of Allende and put himself in as a military coup, okay? So those people have suffered When I went to Chile, the first thing I did, I went to visit the mothers of the disappeared. The mothers of the disappeared are mothers who had children, right? They were in college, and Pinochet's army picked them up, tortured them, and killed them. And they never heard from them again. They disappeared. And I went to talk to them about one woman had lost six of her kids. Disappeared. And so... That, to me, is an important conversation to have, that the mothers of the disappeared. See, the art can be about, right, what's going on, but in a dictatorship, I knew by research that they were still afraid of of Pinochet, even though he had stepped down. They were afraid of talking about democracy because Pinochet could come back as a dictator, (coughs) regain power again, get it, and killed them because they said something about democracy. Well, I knew that. And so what I did, I I put together an exhibition called Paradise Question Mark. And that means I knew they were Catholics, right? Religious people have an idea of what paradise is. Paradise is not a dictatorship. Paradise is democracy, and where individuals can actualize, right? and fulfill who they are. And they were able to talk about what was happening to them, healing, by talking about what a paradise would be. A paradise would be where I could say things, where I could, where nobody would kill me. They would say things, but it's about paradise. You know? Does God want a place where you're whatever your deity is, want a place where you don't have to say the word dictatorship, where people can kill you because you think differently? That's not paradise, that's not paradise. So they could able to heal in talking about the metaphor, paradise, which is a metaphor for democracy, even though if they were afraid of talking about it. But they could talk about democracy, they were Catholics. They know, they know from, right, from what they read in scripture that there's a place called paradise, and what was it like, right? when paradise existed. So that's a a way of healing in a way that you can bring the subject up without putting them in danger.
0: That's a highly intelligent way of of dealing with trauma. When you travel around the world, uh, do you travel with the fellow art knots? Who are those people? Uh, Would you name some notable individuals that are participating in the community, the art knots community?
1: How how does that work? Well, it's very expensive to go to these other countries. So the art knots fund themselves by all of us putting in fees together. We all contribute money. Mm -hmm. And from that money, I can travel, and I can go to that country and take all the artwork. But other people, you gotta have the funds to be able to do it. I always invite them, and they come with me. One person came with me this time. And every once in a while, someone will come with me. A lot of times, I go by myself to the country because it's too expensive to get there for them. But because of the fees, I take the work. I put it up. I'm the curator. I do all of that. And then we, if you look at at our website, we have catalogs. We have a record of what we have done all over the world, a record of the work. And what we say, we're doing a catalog right now of the show that we have at the uh, historical museum. Mm -hmm. The show there, the theme is Remains, Mm R-E-M-A-I-N-S. Well, the reason I chose that as a theme for everybody to do work about was because what remains after that Serbian war? What remains to be done, right? In your life, what remains to be done? before you're complete as a human being. In society, what remains for us to make society and change it so that it would be a good society for us remains. And in the end, remains is all that we have, all that our families have to bury, the remains. There's always something left undone that you have to do, somebody else has to do something with. And social change is, whenever we die, someone has to do something with the remains of the idea of social change. Is there a specific exhibition you're particularly proud of? Yes.
0: Could you tell us more about that?
1: Well, Bosnia, during the war, I tried to come into Bosnia. I couldn't come into Bosnia because the only way I could come in was by bus. And I thought that was too dangerous if the Serbs stopped me on the bus and they pulled me off. But I did try. It. But the very first time that I got a chance to come into Bosnia, I took it. And Bosnia is special because ethnic cleansing. I'm a minority member, all right? I'm Mexican-American. They have done ethnic—I'm I'm part Apache and part Yaqui, American Indian. Well, what did they do to us? They exterminated us. They exterminated most of the Native American population. And as a Mexican American, that is part of my heritage. Those people were in my family generations ago as Yaquis, as Apaches. And so coming here is a way to heal myself from that extermination and now discrimination and racism. And I know and I empathize with people that have gone through that. Something bad happened here, but something bad also happened in the United States to my people. Right. And I need to heal from that, too. And by doing these shows about right coming here to Bosnia where this has happened, I get to talk to other people who went through trauma. Right. And how my trauma is still there. I still have that wound. And my family still has that wound. And they continue to, to open the wound with racism and discrimination in the United States. Every day, this wound is opened by my interaction with white people in the United States and the way they treat me. Is racism prevalent in, in the United States? Oh, it's alive and well. You'll never get rid of it. We
0: hear different reports uh, on this part, this part of the world. but
1: um... Racism is it's very active. It's present at all levels. It's present in universities. It's present in students that we that come to the university. It's present in the small towns and the cities. Now, not everyone is a racist in America. There are good people there, but the ones that are racist, right now, you know, they have a uh, a hate thing against minorities, migrants. Blacks, Mexican-Americans, Hondurans, the people that are trying to get into the country. But you know that we have to survive and do the best we can to help others. And that's what I'm trying to do with the Art Knots.
0: It's a great humanistic intervention into the current state of um, social change, I guess, social dynamics. I guess uh, I wanted to ask you, know, to talk a little bit about the challenges you've faced uh, throughout your career. Uh, but I'm certain you've answered. Uh, okay. you provided an answer to that question. Is there something particular that you would like to single
1: out in that regard? Or? In my career, yes. First of all, I went to a university. When I went to the, you know, I come from poverty. I don't, Mexico, a lot of Mexican-Americans are poor. I come from poverty. My family lived in a cattle car where you put the cattle on a train. We lived in that. So consequently, I come from deep poverty. So I know what not having resources means. And I never thought that I, I could become what I've become. And because of racism, they would not let me in. The door. But once I got into the door, I went all the way to a PhD. Now, I come from a family. Father has a first grade education. Mother has a sixth grade education because of racism. Okay? So, thinking about going to college was just too much of a leap for me to believe in. Okay? But I got into the... I applied, and they let me in. So I came, and I worked day and night to go to school to pay for the tuition and books and all that. And... During that time, when I went to school, 25,000 people were at the university. Only eight of us were Mexican-American. In the 25,000, only eight of us in that whole university were Mexican-American. Now, why? Is it that we don't want to study? No, we couldn't get in. Is not that we didn't want to improve ourselves? We couldn't get in. Okay. So, when I... uh, I'll give you a recent one. I came up for promotion to full professor at the University of Colorado. A very liberal school, they think. It's full of racism. My chair, my chair told me to my face, George, I'm gonna support you for moving to full professor. I'm with you all the way. Okay. So we had a faculty meeting, the faculty voted to give me, promote me to full professor. That's great, and the woman that told me, the white woman that told me she was gonna support me, wrote a letter to the dean saying they should not grant me the full professorship, right? And so the dean saw that she thought one way, which is an important voice, the chair, and the faculty thought another way, and he sent it back to the department. And sending it back to the department, We had to put together a committee, and the committee had to review, well, what do we do here? The chair thinks one thing, the department thinks another thing. Well, they called me in, the committee called me in and said, George, I want you to look at this letter. They showed me the letter she wrote. And the letter said they should not promote me to full professor because I was not showing, exhibiting in the most prestigious museums and galleries of the university. That was the argument. And I said to the committee, I said, that's easy to answer, to counter that. I've shown where the most famous artists of Mexico have shown. I have had exhibitions in museums where Diego Rivera had shows. You've been in Mexico. Diego Rivera was the top of the top, where Frida Kahlo had exhibitions. I can't help it if she was so ignorant that she didn't know that there were other major museums around the world, and they just don't exist here in the United States they granted me promotion for professor but that's discrimination that's discrimination because she didn't see them equal to American museums and I was going all over the world and doing it and in Mexico I had shown how many people could say they they had an exhibit where Diego Rivera showed very few where Frida Kahlo
0: showed very few Certainly so, out of curiosity have you spoken to your colleague afterwards to that no, lady
1: no no, and I didn't want to talk to her because she lied to me in telling me she was going to support me. She never thought I would find out. The only reason I found out is the chair of the committee that it came back to said, George, i got to show you this letter because we got to counter what she said. I said, well, show it to me, and they showed it to me, and I saw what she said. That's the way I knew what she said, what the problem was, and I had to counter it. And then I showed them all the museums and galleries that I had been that are famous, right? But they were not the Guggenheim in the U.S., but they're the Guggenheims of other countries. She just didn't know about them, right? And that's, that's ignorance. That's saying that the only thing that's good is in America. Anything else from another country that you show in is not any good. She didn't even know and yet she was cu- coming at me, that I had shown in those kind of museums. She didn't even know. And yet she was going to block me from getting something that I wanted and that I deserved because of my record. That's discrimination. That's racism. Professor Rivera, you have a career
0: spanning 50 years. Yeah. <laughs> you have been in the business for 50 yes, years. Yes, I have.
1: I have. It's been a long time. It's been a long very it's been a long, long time. time.
0: Uh, when you look back, is there something that you would love to share with us? Something that's uh, that's made an impression on you
1: in your fifty years of being a professor? In, in the fifty years, see, I, I, when I was a freshman in college, I would just come out of my community, a poor community, and was a freshman in college. I had a professor. And I, because I liked being at the university, I was a kid that liked ideas. And I said, "How can I stay here forever at the university?" He said, "Become a professor," and I became a professor. And I spent fifty years at the university. I wanted to be—I wanted to be there for—I wanted to be around ideas. I wanted to be around people who think a lot, do a lot, that are progressive intellectuals of our time. I wanted to be around them. So I asked the, the When I retired, the they had a little ceremony for me. I said, let me tell you a story. And I said, when I was a freshman in college, I said, how can I stay here forever? And my professor friend told me, become a professor. I said, here I am. 50 years, I'm <laughs> that, retiring.
0: That's a fascinating
1: 50 anecdote. 50 years.
0: Where do you see the future for the art?
1: Notes? Well, in, in a way, I'm worried. I'm worried because... I don't know if, if one of the other members can do what I do. And the only reason I say that is not because they're not capable. Is that I, for the most part, I've gotten all these shows throughout the world, not because I had a network, because I did cold calls. Cold calls means I don't know somebody in that country. And I send an email, I make a phone call, and say, I'd like to have a show in your country. Can you help me? Now, artists trained in universities. First of all, I'm not used to doing that. I come from sociology. And so I'm, I'm willing to do it differently. So I did cold calls. I got in all over the world. Your country, I, it was a cold call. Columbia was, Palestine It was a cold. Every country that I've been in, I got through a cold call. And usually artists in art schools and in art departments, they get into shows through a network they already know people in the network at a museum or a gallery. I knew no one. All I could do was say, okay, I'm gonna call and communicate and ask them for a show there. And I'll I'll tell them who I am, what I do, and what I care, and what my philosophy is, and they say, come. I have all kinds of stories from all these places that I've been. We love stories. I was in Russia with a show called Borderlands because Russia was having a problem with borders, Mm -hmm. and we did a show in Harvas, uh, Russia. And I went there and I was at a, I'll tell you two stories about Russia. Now Russia, remember, all of my life, I've learned that Russia is my enemy, okay? Now I disagree with what they're doing to Ukraine right now in a major way, but know that as an American, Russia was the enemy. We were supposed to kill them. That's what my life was supposed to be about. So I went to Russia with a show. They invited me and I went. And I was at a little, you know, place where they sell things, antiques and that, and I wanted a little button of marks from the revolution. Buy a little antique, a little pin. And I was there, and there was a translator that was with me that was following me around. And little old man saw me doing that and he said something to my translator and I said, what did he say? He says, he wants you to come with him. I said, what? He said, he wants you to get in a taxi and come with him. I trusted him. So my translator and me got it. We went all over the, the place in that town and we came down an alley and he got out. He said, wait for me here. He got out of his car in the back, went into a house and came back out with a tin, little tin box full of pins from the beginning of the Russian Revolution that he had collected all this time, this little man. And he put the little box in front of me. And I, didn't, I said, what does he want? He said, he, want, he wants you to take it. And I, wanted, I said, okay, thank you. And then he went like that again. And, and, and he said to me, he wants you to take the whole box. And he said to me, the reason I want you to have the whole box of these pins is because what happened to you on 9 11. This Russian empathized with what had happened to us in 9 11. He says, I want to give you this because of what happened to you on 9 11. That sense of empathy that crosses mm. politics, crosses political positions that countries take. Another story from Russia. I was, this is Russia, the enemy they took us to a little island where the last native russian lived like a native american but he was a native russian okay they take us there and we're drinking and there is this there is this really huge guy is a guy they tell me he was a kgb agent he was head of the kgb in that whole region and he and we started i started drinking with him and um we're drinking vodka and then he stopped drinking vodka. I was, I was kept drinking, and so I would, I made a sign, you know, letting him know why are you stopping? You know, he, we didn't talk, but he could tell on the same side that I was kind of teasing him about stopping drinking vodka. if Vodka was killed drinking, and so he and I got along. He really liked me, and this is this is a KGB agent that's one of the few people that stormed the capital in Afghanistan. That's how famous he was in Russia. So he said. He wanted me to come to his house, it was just down the block. And And I said, okay, just me and him. I trust. So I said to him, yeah, let's go. And he took me to his house. He went inside and he got a little glass of vodka and we had a little glass of vodka outside. And he said, I want you to come inside. I said, okay, let's go inside. He said, I want you to come to this back room in my house. I said, okay, let's go. And I went back there. This is a KGB agent an officer, a, very, a person that's huge. Okay, and he takes me in that back room and he has an altar, an altar. On one side, it has a big picture of Marx, right? And the other side, he has a big picture of Linden, and in the middle, he has a huge picture of Ernest Hemingway. And the reason he had a picture of Ernest Hemingway, an American, was because Hemingway, to him, was a man's man. (laughs) That's the story of my story is Russia. I mean, who else, where else could I have seen that other than this KGB agent and me trusting him to go to his house by myself with him? You know? And I saw... He respected, and he, read, he said he had read all the books of Hemingway. He even gave me one of his books of, of Hemingway, that Hemingway had written in Russian. This is the person that I'm supposed to kill. Right. He's a human being just like me. He respected literature just like me.
0: And he was proud of that. It's safe to say that humanity transcends nations, cultures, yes. religions.
1: And that's what all my years of being an Artnaz, 50 years of teaching and being an Artnaz has taught me, is to see human beings as human beings. In the end, that's all we are. We're just human beings. And you've got to give human beings a chance to show you the good inside of them.
0: Professor Rivera, this has been fascinating. and We look forward to having you when you return back to Sarajevo. And we'll do another interview next year. Next year. Thank you so much. It's Thank been, you. It's been a pleasure. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you for tuning in. Um, the IBU podcast studio is located at the Department of Digital Communications and Public Relations, or DCPR. Thank you.